Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where good taste and bad taste seek a new architect for the Security Bank of Gotham. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. That was a Batman thing, wasn't it? It's a Justice League thing. Specifically, well, you said Gotham. That's Batman City. Yeah, but it's a reference from... Uh, we'll talk about Justice League when we get to Justice League. Oh, must we? I suppose well, we yeah, have we to. Yeah, we kind of have to, yeah. Uh, my name is William Bibiani. Everybody calls me Bibbs. He's Whitney Seibold. Mm. Everybody doesn't call him Bibbs. No one calls me Bibbs, in fact. Not yet. <laughs> And uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing the new releases Quo Vadis Aida, Slacks, and Rose Plays Julie. We're also reviewing the old movie, Justice League, except now it's got a spiffy new director's cut, courtesy of Zack Snyder. And this is not one of those director's cuts where it's a little different. Mm. To be fair, there's a lot of stuff in it, so we're going to treat it as its own thing and not just be like, eh, they added a scene to... Gladiator. No, they, 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 like, they, they literally doubled the length. So yeah, yeah. It's, it, there's a lot to talk about. Well, it's a very different film. Not too much to talk about, but we'll talk about the new Justice League. I, th- I, think, I think it warrants some serious consideration. And because, uh, once again, during the pandemic, uh, while we're watching everything on streaming, we want to make sure that we're not ignoring older movies on streaming just as we watch all the new releases and get excited about them. So uh, every week, Whitney and I are watching at least one movie, older movie, that either one or both of us have never seen before, as chosen by our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Whew, almost lost it there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this week, the poll winner, well, we had a bunch of movies from Paramount Plus, and the poll winner was Infernal Affairs, a.k.a. the film that inspired Martin Scorsese's The Departed. That was a remake of a Hong Kong action movie. Uh, well, Hong Kong action-y, dramedy, crimey. It's a crime film. It's a crime film. Mm. Uh, it's got it's got some action, uh, but it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's got Andy Lau and it's got Tony Leung, and uh, mm. it's it's a cool film. And I was surprised Whitney hadn't seen it, so we're going to talk about that later on in the, in the episode. My first time I got to see Infernal Affairs. Uh, but before we get to any of that, we mm. have to start with uh, some some bad news. Uh, we lost yet another titan in the industry. Uh, we lost uh, actor Yafet Kato. Uh, who you might recall from such films as uh, Alien, Live and Let Die, and Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. That's right. He was in a Freddy movie. <laughs> yeah, he was, he, was, he was bringing in class and respectability to the sixth very classless Freddy Nightmare on Elm Street movie. The, the, uh, that's a terrible movie, by the way. It's not a good Fre- film. Freddy's Dead, The Final... Like, it's, it's, like, I'll watch it. It's fun. It's fun, but, but it's, it's pretty terrible. It turns it into, like, a Looney Tune. Like, it's mm. really just... The, the tone is way off. Um, and that's kind of like the the nail in the coffin of that franchise for a while was after Freddy's dead. Not only was Freddy dead, which had happened before, uh, but he just wasn't scary anymore. There was just nothing scary about it, and that led mm. us to Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and that led us to Freddy versus Jason, and and that led us to nothing. Nothing happened after that. We well, didn't they, have another one. Then, then they remade. There were, it, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have another one. My uh, my suggestion is for the next Friday the thirteenth or uh, next. Mix them up. The next Freddy nightmare, the Thirteenth. Next Nightmare on Elm Street uh, is just hire Maria Bello to play Freddy Kr- Frida Krueger. That'd be cool. Yeah, just gender swap, gender flip it. But back to Yafet Kato. Yafet Kato was a great actor. Uh, he was. Whitney, you've actually seen more of his films than I have. Uh, I I suppose so. Um, I've we, seen, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast. I do. I really admire Yafet Kato. He's uh, he's very friendly. Uh, like brought a kind of stern humanism to most of his roles. Uh, 
I guess Alien might be his most popular movie. The one that most people have seen, perhaps, yeah. uh, where he was just sort of this working stiff. He was the one who was always talking about when do we get paid? Yeah, but well, he, we need to talk about this bonus situation. Yeah, he he didn't have a lot of just sort of dialogue or big scenes to himself, but he put so much into the little scenes he had that we got a great uh, not not just a sense of who his character was, but a lot about what this universe is like. Yeah, that a these are just class sci-fi yeah, these universe, are just blue collar yeah. stiffs in a science fiction setting. So, uh, and he brought that even into uh, a lot of a lot of his uh, main roles. The first uh, earliest film of his that I saw was Across One Hundred and Tenth Street, mm. which was sort of like this film noir where he plays this by the books cop who ends up like doing favors for uh, like some criminal friends of his. It's really really good, and not just because the song is awesome. Uh, I've heard the song a thousand times because they played it over the credits of Jackie Brown. Uh, but yeah, he was really, really good in Across 110th Street. I have not seen the film he made with Larry Cohen, uh, Bone, uh, oh, where, I heard that where great. he played the title character. And uh, yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about Bone, and it is I am remiss in not having seen Bone. Uh, but yeah, he he was in a lot of uh, black exploitation films throughout the 1970s. He was in Friday Foster. That was another one I saw him in. That was a Pam Greer film. That also had Scatman Crothers and um, a bunch of other people. Live and Let Die mm. was uh, uh, basically James Bond's version of a black exploitation film. Yeah, it was. Um, Vic Bond often tries to sort of capitalize on what's popular mm. contemporaneously, which is you know Casino Royale was like, hey, uh, we're in the post born era and everyone likes parkour. Let's put those things in a movie, like that kind of deal. But it also goes with, oh, Star Wars is big. We'll do Moonraker. Mm. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Live and Let Die was uh, James Bond being pulled into um, an adventure involving uh, Caribbean drug smuggling. Mm. And um, <laughs> over the course of the film, like practically every person of color in that movie is in on it in this weird kind of it's... cartoonish conspiracy. And uh, Yafet Kato plays the main bad guy. He mm. plays uh, Dr. Kananga, who has the most amazing death scene in all of James Bond history. <laughs> well, speaking of Looney Tunes, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he gets inflated to death. And you can mm. find... Pictures online of the inflatable version of Yafet Kato they had to build to achieve that special effect. It's the dumbest looking thing. Mm. Um, But yeah, he gets inflated to death in that movie. (laughs) Notwithstanding, he was a very dignified actor. Um, I'm not uh, familiar with his work on Homicide, but uh, he he was on Homicide for a long time. I didn't watch that show either, but a lot of people were talking about it. He played Othello in a production of Othello that was never released. So I'm hoping that that they they sort of scour this up because I would love to see him play Othello. And it was going to be like his his original, like his debut. Like it started off in like, it was filmed in like the 60s and it just never got released. It finally screened like once in 1980, but like that's it. Yeah, like it's crazy. Where's where's like Arrow Video or something that needs to sort yeah. of scrape that one up? Someone, uh, like track that thing down. What are you but, doing? But Movie it, exclusive. Let's make it happen. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, he he was one of those actors who worked across uh, like genres and budgets and types of films. Uh, in that he was in a lot of like serious crime dramas, but he would also be in big budget. Hollywood genre films, not like Alien. Yeah. He was also in The Running Man. Yeah, uh, which is the Puppet Masters. Uh, and... yeah, that, that's the '90s, the Puppet Masters, not yeah. the not the Andre Toulon full movie. No, movies. but like that was still like a major mm. like studio schlocky horror yeah, thing. He, he played the the Fed in uh, Midnight Run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, and as you said, he was in Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Um, 
I think he was doing a lot more TV near the end of his career, like his, his film credits sort of drop off after a while. And plus he was, he was getting up there. He died in his early 80s. Uh, but golly, always a delight to see yeah. Yafet Kato show up in a movie. He always had such just strength and charisma, and uh, this is kind of a meaningless word, but so much attitude that uh, he was able to make all of his, his characters really just sort of breathe and live. It was just so, so great. Well, Yafet Kato, you will be missed. Thank mm. you so much for everything you've done uh, for the world of cinema and for audiences everywhere. Mm. And um, should we start? This is always a jarring transition. Uh, Every single time we have to transition from mm. eulogizing somebody to reviewing a new movie. But um, should we should we end? Obviously, we're going to end with Infernal Affairs. Should right. we end with Justice League or should we talk about Justice League right now? Oh, I'd rather talk about Slacks, if we may. That's the one you want to start with? I want to start with Slacks. You want to start with Slacks? Yeah. Let's talk about the Killer Blue Jeans movie. It's, it's about Killer Pants. Uh, this, <laughs> Slacks is a Canadian... You can wait for Justice League. Yeah, no, because you're, you're going to hear about the Pants movie, all right? <laughs> You've seen Justice League. You don't need to hear us talk about Justice League. We've we've seen that's it not, twice now. That's, that's, uh, that's not what film criticism is about. It's not like you've seen it. You don't need to hear any conversation about it. It's about no, it's about the conversation. I understand that's that. The point. Okay. But the more important conversation is about is the movie about the killer pants. Okay. Slacks L S L A X X is. Uh, it's a movie about a killer pair of pants. What can I say? It's, it's exactly uh, it, the movie you it think opens, it's going to be. Uh, it opens uh, in almost exactly the same way as the remake of Child's Play, where we get to see the origin of the thing being built and mm-hmm. uh, how it became. We learn a little bit more about how it became evil later on, but yeah, a pair of pants is made. It makes its way to this uh, really super hip. It's it's a lot like American Apparel type yeah. hipster uh, clothing store where everything's overpriced. Uh, and, uh, the story follows a young girl who's getting a job there for the first time. And she learns very quickly that everybody there is a horrible dick. Yeah. Uh, because that's the way you write when you can't write. Uh, you just make everybody cruel. Oh, I don't think that's the case. Mm. I actually, I actually, I, weirdly enough, I sympathized with that because this is a movie that takes place almost entirely at a clothing store, at a, mm. at a corporate clothing store Which, overnight. Uh, while they're they're doing a new uh, there's a new line of pants that's being released it's a and big new clothing push they have to restock big, uh, everything put up all the re- redress all the mannequins put up all the posters and they have a celebrity instagram influencer coming to hype the jeans that's yeah. a big deal so this is this is like a big big night uh however it is also corporate retail and if you've ever worked corporate retail it sucks <laughs> it's the it's the worst thing it's miserable and you're combined it's it's there's like two kinds of people who work at corporate retail people who don't want to be there hmm. because this is the job they could get right now they're working their way through college or something and worse the people who want to be there the, the, <laughs> well the, the people who see this as like some important career stepping yeah. stone and that's not and i'm not disrespecting a career in in retail that's not it i don't mean to disrespect that but there's a particular if you've worked in corporate retail and i've worked for a few different like big chains in my life mm. there's a particular vibe you get sometimes when someone in middle management is way too intense about this shit <laughs> like they think that they're like responsible for like you know, the, leading the charge at the Battle of Verdun. And it's like, <laughs> no, I have to rewind these VHSs and put them back in alphabetical order 
you can calm the hell down right now. I work for Blockbuster too. <laughs> I worked in Hollywood Video. It's a little different, but not much. No, it's, it's not really. It's not much different. <laughs> it's uh, it's different because of the spelling. Um, but uh, but in any case, I worked with shitty middle management, and this is a movie that's very much about shitty middle management. There's a shitty middle management guy, uh, and uh, yeah, he's he's treating everyone like he's he's following everything by the book. He believes everything corporate tells him is right, mm. and we are going to. By God, we're going to have this thing done in record time. I'm going to show everybody that I deserve to be in upper middle management. And uh, yeah, yeah, a pair of pants seems to be mysteriously murdering <laughs> various <laughs> underlings of mine. I can hide that yeah. and get the job done. And we'll deal with the cops tomorrow because we're on lockdown right now. No one's supposed to be using their cell phones. No, yeah. Fuck you, Chad. Yeah, no, no one's get going in or out and nobody's allowed to use their cell phones and they're locked in all all night, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which which sounds like it, it sounds like at some point people would just get a little loopy and people yeah. would be, be acting like kind, kind of weird and joking around a lot. There's I've done no, inventory. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's what you do. I've worked in movie theaters my whole life. We were there at 3 a.m. and we were going crazy by 3 a.m. Yeah. Uh, that is a, a, a good kind of crazy, like you know, playing javelin with brooms from the front of the theater. See if we can hit the projection <laughs> window. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, that kind of like goofy camaraderie is absent from this sort of this movie. It's a very better film. Yeah, uh, it's well, it's also cheap. It's done on the fly. It looks like they were filming in the store after hours after the manager actually went home, and they're sneaking in and filming this movie. Uh, and hoping that the blood doesn't stain. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a pair of pants there. Um, somebody tries it on uh, surreptitiously, and it ends up like cinching her and biting her in half. Awesome. In, in, in the women's restroom, there's another and, guy who gets his hands bitten off uh, by the teeth and the zipper. Yeah, and we, we see like it eats away at his hands, spurts his fingers, then his hands. Uh, yeah, somebody else tries tries it on, and unfortunately, the gore effects were perhaps too expensive to show because a lot of the, the actual kill or gore is like just off camera. I feel like if this movie were made in the eighties and there's really no reason why it couldn't have been mm. like you, you cell phones are removed from the equation anyway. Yeah. Like this movie, if this movie was made in the eighties when, when designer jeans were a thing, yeah. so it could have been made. If the movie were made in the eighties, I think two things are true. One, Paul Bartel would have been in it. <laughs> Two, and, it would have oh, been, oh, been Mary off. She just appeared next to him. Yeah, yeah. They would have totally been in this movie. And uh, uh, two, we would have seen more gore. And the gore mm. would have been a little funnier, I think. Because there's, there's, this movie has a sense of humor. I don't want to make this seem like this is just this dour, mm. like, mean spirit. It's mean-spirited, but I think it's it's mean-spirited with, like, a direction. Like, it's aiming at something, so I'm, I'm fine with it. Uh, but it just feels like... When you think about the gore in something like uh, Stuart Gordon's Reanimator, mm. where which it's is like, plentiful, by the way, it's extremely gory, but the gore is a certain kind of like silly charm to it. Like, oh, I just cut off this guy's head. Uh, I won't. It keeps falling off of my desk. Well, I'll just use this like needle I use to keep like notes on my desk. I'll just shove the head on that. It's creative. It works. And there's something <laughs> just very drolly humorous about that kind of gore. And this doesn't really have that. This is the gore is actually taken in a kind of a brittle way. Uh, and the humor is all about how corporate capitalism is, if you're not careful, 
very close to fascism. The the pants in question are called like I think they're called like super shapers, and yeah. they have a marked SS on them. Like it's not subtle. It's not it's, subtle. This sort of like anti corporate messaging is something that was also really common in the eighties. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I compared this to the remake of Child's Play. The original Child's Play was a very direct critique on hot kids' toys. Yeah. Oh, Gremlins like, Cab- Two was a merciless uh, uh, corporate satire. Yeah, specifically of like Trump and uh, and Ted Turner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, there was, uh, that was the nineties, but yeah, uh, it was made in the eighties. There was a lot of just, you know, the stuff speaking of Larry Cohen movies, uh, yeah, where, where products were the things that were going to kill you. Uh, and slacks is just sort of cribbing from that. Uh, and there's definitely something salient about it because it keeps on going on. And even though, uh, the language in terms of like marketing and the way we sell things has changed dramatically to the point where a lot of the marketing languages is about how uh, responsible the company is in mm-hmm. sourcing their materials yeah. and who makes it. And yeah. you know, we're such a responsible so company. Of, Everything we do is organic yeah. and, and, uh, and that's the, why you should buy from us. And it doesn't actually matter if it's true to them. It, it doesn't matter if it's true to them and it doesn't matter if it's true at all. In yeah. fact, a lot of it is just spin corporate lies or a way to, it's, it's like when uh, companies started putting the word all natural on mm. their food products. It doesn't mean anything all yeah. natural. It, it just means like one less peptide was manipulated in a lab Yeah. or, uh, and now now the word organic is on everything, which just replaced all natural. A lot of it's, Oh no, oh, look, I can get organic, uh, you know, chocolate-covered popcorn. Oh, great, so it's better for me now. Uh, no, just, no. Uh, so a lot of this uh, responsible marketing language is now laid sort of bare as being mm. pretty hi- hypocritical. That's kind of the only update from something that would have been made 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, that said, it's still pretty fun. I appreciate uh, when they can make a, a silly monster film about a killer pair of pants on a budget. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wonderful shots of the pants walking around by themselves. Yeah. That's always hilarious. Yeah. Uh, uh, and they didn't just put like someone in pants and, and blue screen out their body. They actually like puppeteered the pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, although they did end up blue screening, uh, blue, blue uh, well, the, but, the green screening that, but uh, it's, it's, it's done with puppetry rather than CG. No, it looks so much better yeah. than that. Um, yeah, I actually dug this movie. Mm. Um, it's, it's a lean, mean 77 minutes. It's, there's not a lot of fat on it. Mm. It's just, it's exactly what you think it's going to be. And again, I think if speaking to someone who have, I've had, I've had positive experiences working retail. I've had negative experiences mm. working retail and my negative experiences working retail. I know exactly the, the, the mood one would be in to write this screenplay after you got home from work. <laughs> like it's, it's one in the morning. I just had to take the bus home mm. and I, have to do another From. shift in the morning, but by God, I have another half hour material for slacks. I'm going to write it down. And um, yeah, I dug it. It's, it's, it's not an instant classic territory, but it is, mm. it is very entertaining. It is actually taking the opportunity to take a silly concept like killer pants and actually be about something. And mm. I think it successfully yeah. does so. Um, so I dig it. It's on shutter right now. It's a shutter exclusive. And um yeah, if you like horror comedies, it's definitely worth checking out. And I'm interested in, in other things that this director has done. Her name is uh, Elza Kefhart, and she's a Canadian film director. And uh, I'm just looking over some of the titles she's done, like Graveyard Alive, A Zombie Nurse in Love, or Beyond the Pearly Gates of Ill Repute. These are films I want to see. Yeah, that's, that's, that's mm. a very... Uh, um... 
That sounds like a list of your like best films of the year. <laughs> like that, if that if you just told me like those are your films, I'd be like, I must have missed those. Yeah, that sounds like wins. <laughs> yeah. uh, be sure to see Beyond the Pearly Gates of Ill Repute. Well, tell me about okay. So there's one movie you saw that only one this this week. There's mm. only one movie you saw this week that I didn't. Okay, we'll save Justice League for last. Right. Uh, let's talk about Rose plays Julie. Uh, Rose plays Julie is an. I suppose it's a thriller. It's a, an Irish thriller about um, a young woman. She's a veterinary student and she seems really kind of, she lives in this sort of it? cold, sorry, let me turn off my buzzer. Uh, this cold, sort of cold, detached world. And we learn early on that she has tracked down her birth mother. Hmm. Uh, she ha- recently before the events of the film learned that she had been adopted and was uh, found that her birth mother who is now a working actress, sort of a recognizable face. And she kind of begins at first stalking her. Uh, she's like, she knows her phone number. She calls her up and just sort of says hello. And they don't know what's going on. She ends up haunting around the film sets where her, her birth mother is hanging out and ends up looking for a tour of her, of her birth mother's home. Her birth mother put her home on uh, for sale. So she ends up taking a tour and very slowly kind of integrates her way into a position where she can have a conversation with her birth mother. And it all seems very creepy. Like, we don't know uh, if, like, what her motives are here. She seems very, uh, very much like a stalker, but at the same time, it's really understandable. She's actually really curious and is perhaps just a bit shy about approaching this woman, uh, trying to ask more about sort of where she came from and why she was put up for adoption. And at the end of the first act, after about 30 minutes, we learn, we do learn why, uh, in a, a very terse conversation, we learned that she was the product of a sexual assault. Mm. And, uh, I'm not going to say anything more that happens after that, but, uh, it, a lot of this deals with how she's trying to process all of this information. Yeah. A that she was a when you know, she only recently learned that she was adopted, yeah, and that that sort of threw her for an emotional loop. And now that she was sort of the the product of a violent act is also now sort of putting her whole existence into question. And she starts to take on this different personality, this other role to continue through the the following actions of the movie. Uh, maybe in a way to detach and like sort of remove herself from a lot of this emotion or maybe with a more pointed purpose. And I don't want to say which it is because I want the, the surprises to remain. It, it's, is it, you, you mentioned initially that it seemed like a kind of like a stalker. You kind of said almost yeah. like for like a thriller. It's not a thriller though, is it? Well, it, it's shaped like a thriller. It feels like a thriller, okay. but it's, it's really also a very quiet movie and a lot of the, the bigger uh, emotional moments, common moments of silence. Mm. So it, I can't say it's not like a De Palma film where everything's just really wild and the, all the stalker and all the camera angles. It's, it's, um, but at the same time, it's not completely understated. It's not like, it's not really subdued, but you, I'm going to compare it to uh, a Claire Denis film because mm-hmm. they give us sort of information a little bit out of order. We see a scene and then we see it sort of replayed again, almost immediately thereafter from a slightly different angle. Uh, conversations happen where we get the, the important information first and then we go back to leading up into the information. So all of these big moments of confrontation are kind of fragmented. And I think that's the way 
your memories tends to work, especially right after you've experienced some really intense moments. You remember the really intense moments and the other moments kind of cluster around it. And I think uh, the the director is really, really good about sort of constructing those intense emotional moments. Uh, It does end up going in kind of a more... I don't want to say predictable, but a more recognizable thriller direction after a while. Mm. It's always kind of a pity when a film eventually sort of solidifies because I always enjoy being a little bit lost in the, the mystery of it. Yeah. Uh, but there comes a point where even if even if you don't begin mathematically, there's mm. this general sense of there's only so much more left of the movie. We have to start mm. wrapping things up a little. Yeah. And it can sometimes feel a little inorganic. Mm. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a shame, but it sounds uh, like a good movie, though. It's it's yeah, it's quite good, but it's it's a little okay. intense. It was directed by uh, two directors named Joe Lawler and Christine Malloy, who I've never heard of before. Um, but yeah, they they were able to sort of take a, a sort of a lot of well worn uh, genre ideas, but turn them into a little bit something a little bit sl- slipperier and a little bit more uh, emotionally resonant. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds very good. Yeah, I, I, I dug it. Uh, you know what I dug? What did you dug? Quo Vadis Aida. <laughs> this is uh, Oscar nominee. This is an Oscar nominee. This is nominated for Best International Feature at this year's Academy Awards. Uh, this movie fucked me up, <laughs> but in, in a really, really good way, though. Like in like um, like uh, thank you for putting me through this, even though it was incredibly harrowing. Mm. Kind of way. Uh, this comes from a director. I hope I'm not going to butcher her name too badly, but Yasmila Zbanek. Mm. And this is a film about uh, the Srebrenica genocide in 1995. Mm. Uh, if you were around, you, you might recall it being on the news a lot. And certainly some of you are international and you actually are familiar with uh, international events better than mm. most Americans are. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Bosnian uh, conflicts of the 1990s. Uh, was uh, really brutal. And there is an incident uh, in a town called Srebrenica, again, I'm hoping I'm not pronouncing this too incorrectly, uh, Srebrenica, where the the army uh, took all the men and killed all the men. Mm -hmm. And it's horrifying. And this movie is about a UN translator named Aida, uh, and uh, it's about uh, sh- she's responsible for translating what the UN is telling the people of Srebrenica and how they're saying like, hey, you know, you've been saying that like things are going to be OK and you're going to give them an ultimatum. And if they move one more inch, there's going to be airstrikes. And they- you've never done that, actually. Mm-hmm. You've never actually followed through on any of these things. And they know it and they just keep pushing forward. But it's going to be OK. Right. And she's responsible for telling them it's going to be OK. Um and then the army comes into town, everyone gets pushed out, and thousands of people converge on the UN headquarters mm-hmm. uh, seeking asylum. And uh, the UN is essentially powerless. They can make threats, but they cannot make good on them. They have guns, they're not allowed to shoot them. They don't have the facilities to take care of everybody. And the army could just bomb them mm-hmm. and kill them all, and that's that. Uh, and this woman Aida is basically doing every single thing she can. She can't save everybody. She's just trying to save her own family mm. and do the right thing in the process as much as possible for everyone else. So it's all about her just desperately trying to manipulate the system, trying to 
make sure everyone she's ever known, worked with, shared a cigarette with is in a position to try to help her out. And you realize just how helpless the situation it is. And as the buses start coming up and they start saying, hey, everybody get on the buses. And everyone's like, finally, we can go. And it is like, no, <laughs> don't get on don't, those buses. Don't do that. Uh, it's absolutely fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's a terrifying film. It's terrifying watching just the world fall apart yeah. around Aida. And, and like practically and, in real time, a lot of it. Yeah, And uh, it's, it shows that uh, these uh, things that have been set up uh, for crises, these uh, institutions that have been set up to handle a major military crises and ma- major humanitarian crises are actually not prepared yeah. for when one actually hits. They haven't thought out the practicalities of it. and They haven't, uh, they haven't thought out what, so, what it's like when people aren't interested in diplomacy. And so we have right. if, all we can do is mm. be diplomatic. And if you mm. actually say, we don't care, we'll shoot you. Mm. Then all we can do is kind of lay over, lay, yeah. lay down and say, okay, Step go ahead. Aside. Yeah. And it's, and you see these UN people knowing what's going on and knowing that they're completely powerless to do anything about it. Mm. And, oh, <laughs> I hate them because my God, you, you're, you're doing nothing. You're doing nothing yeah. at all. Yeah. And at all. The, the the and it's it shows that a lot of these uh, institutions are set up uh, under the assumption that people will behave honor- honorably, yeah. and when a military coup is under uh, underway, and we get to see the military guys, you know, with their body armor and their machine guns, walk smugly up, prepared to murder anybody and not caring, you realize that nothing nothing is going to ha- is going to work. None of these things are going to work. This is doomed for death. And as Aida experiences the mounting dread that nothing can be done and the utter denial that she can do anything to change it uh, is just wrenching. And uh, we get to see the result of the the military coup. And then there is a fast forward near the end where we get to see the coda. The coda uh, devastated Yeah, which, you know, what what happened uh, several years later. Not going to tell you anything about that. No. But that that devastated me. As much as I thought I was done being devastated. Like, what more (laughs) can this movie possibly throw at me? And then I'm like, oh, shit. Damn, this is a good movie. This is a riveting motion picture. It is... I mean, it's based on a true story. It's not fun. There's nothing fun about this. But my goosebumps had goosebumps as I'm watching this movie because it is so, like, ingeniously captures this sense of helplessness and that really horrifying awareness that as we are watching it, society is crumbling. Mm. Like, human decency is failing and evil is winning right now. This second. And... The powerlessness to help while you are incredibly motivated to do so. Yeah. And Jesus Christ, this is, <laughs> this is, this is so fucking good. This is just a really brilliant motion picture. Um, I, I don't have like a lot more to say about that other than this is going to be a really tough watch mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And if you don't think you can handle something like that, I totally get that. If you can, I think this is a must-see. I really do. This is an incredibly powerful motion picture. This is an incredibly well-made motion picture. It's based on a true story, but it doesn't feel like, you know, Hollywood biopic claptrap. This is really, like, important, illuminating Mm. cinema. And I just flabbergasted by it. I just, I was so overwhelmed by it. I just, damn. Uh, 
I thought it was a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> just it, one of those films to make you breathe fast. It was, uh, it reminded me of a lot of the films we see in the short film categories yeah. where there's some sort of uh, military or humanitarian crisis. And, uh, in the short film categories, we usually get like a setup of a real world event or something really just horrendous that is set up. And then there's uh, like, for lack of a better word, a, a punchline, like yeah. a, a, just a, a, a setup and a payoff. And uh, here we actually get to see it played out. We actually see the drama and the dread mounting. And rather than just sort of setting us up and then punching us it keeps on fainting around us as if it's not going to. And then of course it does. And it pounds you mercilessly. It's a really tough watch, but I think very good. Did you, did you, you yeah, quite good. Yeah. I just, but it's tough. Hmm. It's tough. There's no denying that it's tough, Hmm. but um, you know, I think there's, there's like, there are times when it's worth it. Hmm. And uh, as someone who often avoids really, really horrible, like, you know, confrontational, emotional things, just because of my own histories and mental health and stuff, this isn't the sort of thing I would normally ever like seek out, mm-hmm. like for you know, just oh, let's watch this tonight, that kind of thing. Uh, but I'm so glad I saw this. <laughs> I'm genuinely glad I saw this, and I guess I cannot recommend it enough, even though it may be a tough watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there was the superhero movie. Uh, the, yeah, there is. Yeah. So in 2017, uh. Zack Snyder, uh, who had previously directed Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, mm. um, made, Justi- made Justice League. That was the whole idea. They were going to mm. do the repeat the Marvel formula where they're going to put all the superheroes in one movie. They mm. made Justice League. And uh, during production, uh, the studio started to get like cold feet, from what I understand. Well, I don't know the exact narrative. I, 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 but, can, I can give you the gist. Basically, right. uh, Batman v Superman underperformed. Mm. The critics were, were you know, it was, it was a divisive film. Some people really liked it. A lot of people really didn't like it. Uh, and Warner Brothers started saying, hey, can we maybe adjust the tone on this one and make it a little bit more like, you know, a little brighter, a little yeah. brighter. And apparently Zack Snyder was not against that in principle, but mm. then, uh, so they started messing with his vision a little bit. And then what happened was <laughs> well, he, they, they, they were rewriting the script, which they, happens on a lot of movies. Actually, I, I didn't but, find yeah. that in and of itself remarkable. That happens all mm. the time. Um, but then a family tragedy occurred and Zack Snyder, uh, in, was grieving and he left the project mm. and Warner brothers, which, you know, wanted to get the film out on time. Uh, raced to replace him with Joss Whedon, who had recently done Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron, Mm. which are these two giant uh, superhero blockbusters. Uh, And the initial idea was that Joss Whedon was just going to finish it, Mm. maybe add a couple of little things. Uh, And it turns out he ended up, he and or the studio, and I assume the studio had a lot of hand in this, uh, dramatically reworked the film, Mm. It, truncated it significantly. It, it was the studio. I, I doubt yeah. Joss Whedon stepped in and said, okay, here's how it's going to be to work. Oh yeah. It. I'm sure he didn't do that, yeah. but I'm sure, I'm sure he was doing the studio's bidding, but it also yeah. does feel like a lot of the additions and changes are very Whedon-y. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more banter in uh, yeah. the theatrical cut. Uh, the music is very, very different. It's a lot less Snydery. Um, D- Danny Elfman did a score that was a bit more evocative of previous scores for Superman the movie and uh, Tim Burton's Batman, which which he also did the score for. Yep, uh, he, he, uh, he, uh, he in fact he reused his own theme. Yes, it for for Batman in Justice League. Uh, but um, he ended up uh, reshooting significant parts, um, and um, 
The result was a movie that was significantly shorter than what we now call the Snyder Cut. Was functionally very similar. The structure of it's basically the same. It's, uh, it's the same story. It's the same basic it's, story, um, but it's it's yeah, a they, lot shorter. And I'm I'm I think I have two, I have two schools of thought on this. Mm. One is, hey, which one's better? Mm. And if you're asking me for that answer, I would I would answer the Snyder Cut, even mm. though I have issues with it. Uh, but it's also a question of if this had been the version we got in the first place, how happy would we have been? Yeah. And I think we would have been like, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, well, but I think I, I, either way, I think it's a lot better than the theatrical cut. So I, I think um, that's true. I think in terms of like filmmaking, it's a better film. Uh, they, they expanded it. Uh, I think the pacing is really bad. It's a four hour film. Uh, they kind of drag things out and we it takes a long time to get going. Uh, I think the but first they expand, two hours yeah. of the movie are slow. Yeah, they, they actually, the, uh, yeah. but they expand a lot of the characters' roles. They yeah. added a new character, which is really notable, uh, in the form of Dark Side. It turns out there was a, a big bad above the villain from the original Justice yeah. League. Which was implied in the original movie, mm. and if you knew the comics, you knew that that was a thing. Mm. But here it's discussed more openly, yeah. and you do get so to see turned, Dark Side a couple of times. Yeah, they, they completely reanimated the villain. And in the original, he was a CGI guy. Now he's just a bigger CGI guy is yeah. functionally the same character but now he just looks bigger and scarier i i watched um, uh, i rewatched the theatrical yeah. cut before i watched the uh, the snyder cut mm. just because it was i wanted to have it fresh in yeah, my head yeah. uh because you know maybe rose-colored glasses maybe i was too kind of maybe i was a little too kind when it came out because that movie's a mess i don't hate all of it but yeah. that movie is a mess uh everyone was talking about oh steppenwolf looks terrible he's gonna look so much better in the snyder cut yeah. he does look terrible in the theatrical cut there's no denying that he looks a slightly different kind of terrible. Yeah, he in the still Snyder looks cut. terrible. He's like he's like covered with butter knives. Like his his it looks armor like he's is always with like staples. fluttering. Yeah, yeah like his whole armor is made with like um, staples. Like it looks yeah, weird they, and, and 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 his face is still weird and unconvincing. Like it's the, not the, a good performance. It's it's not like um with uh, like the character of Thanos is very similar. Uh, where they got a lot of like CGI on Josh Brolin's face to get his acting. To, yeah. So yeah. so there's he's he's a CGI creation, but he looks a lot more natural and uh i think they just animated this guy from whole cloth so he doesn't have all those natural facial movements i got that impression from watching rewatching the theatrical cut mm. that maybe that was what they wanted initially was from for, for the theatrical cut uh to have the actor kieran hines yeah. uh, who voiced the character in both versions uh they wanted the performance to come out more but they just didn't have time to do it good yeah uh because i actually feel like steppenwolf in some ways is actually a better facial acting performance he just looks stupider he's wearing like <laughs> goofy shorts like he just doesn't the both versions look bad both yeah, versions they're... are not a good looking villain and steppenwolf is never an interesting villain he's guy from space who's tough but he's not the main bad guy. We learn a little bit more about why he's doing what he's doing in this one. It's still not important. He's just the big tough guy they can't beat mm. until the end. He's but not the, a good villain. That's that's one no, problem the movie has uh, regardless. I think. Well, and, and also, and the plot in both is this, uh, are the same. Uh, we have Steppenwolf uh, who wants to assemble three magical widgets. They're called Mother Boxes. And when he does, he can terraform Earth and turn it into his home planet for he and his other evil magical space badasses. And turn every mm. single living creature on Earth into what is called a parademon, which are basically like mm. bug dudes. They, they look like guys at cons, who, you know, yeah. wear like ghost costumes. Uh, and in order to uh, defeat these uh, bad guys, Batman, played by Ben Affleck, has to travel the world assembling the Justice League, which is yeah. Aquaman, Wonder Woman, uh, the Flash, 
and they have to uh, cyborg, most notably cyborg, and uh, and then they have to also resurrect Superman, who died. Yeah. And in fact, the opening scene of this cut of the movie is Superman dying, and his death whale is the thing that activates the mother box. It's that feels like something that they made up at the last minute. That that's something that it's like it feels like it's a big fucking deal, but when you watch it, it's actually like this is kind of absurd like the way you're doing this. Like they're trying to cover cover something well, that they forgot this, to write. There's this whole there's this whole plot hmm. about uh, the the backstory here, and this is kind of in the theatrical cut. It's a bit more in detail now. Is that a long time ago, uh, Dark Side in the Snyder cut, it's Dark Side, and the theatrical cut, it's Steppenwolf. Came to Earth, tried to conquer it then, hmm. and like, and like al- an ancient, ancient times. Yeah, and the an alliance between Amazons, Atlanteans, humans, the Greek gods, and the Green Lanterns hmm. teamed up to fight him off, and in, and they did. The only we're the only planet to ever successfully do that. Hmm. It is now thousands of years later, and Darkseid forgot where we were. <laughs> he forgot where we were. He accidentally left three it, mother it, boxes here. Space is big, all right. It's easy I, to get loose all track I'm of a planet. Is this is the only planet where they kicked your ass. Maybe you'd remember the address, but <laughs> like, oh shit, don't stay away from Boylston Street. You gotta every everyone's real tough on Boylston Street or whatever mm. street. I don't know. Um, Boylston Street's <laughs> the name of a of a poem in uh, the movie The Freshman. <laughs> I don't know why I zeroed in on that weird piece of trivia. It has nothing to do right? with anything. Um, but, uh, where, where was I going with you? So yeah, so Darkseid just forgot mm. that Earth was here. For They left mother boxes here, and they've been looking for them ever since. And then Steppenwolf finds it by chance. And the whole thing is, the mother boxes activate because without Superman, Earth is without a protector. Which begs the question... Where was wh- Steppenwolf all the hundreds of millennia before Superman came along? Yeah, because they even say just like, well, like, yeah, well, you know, uh, the... Cyborg was created before Superman died. Why didn't the mother box say anything then? Mm. It's because Superman was protecting Earth. Mm. Superman's been here for a couple of decades. You had thousands of years. <laughs> really? And, and it's, it's just, it's a little thin. I'm not saying yeah, there isn't some, like, you could, like, wrap your head around, come up with a bunch of, like, you know, sort of fan reasons why this, this all makes sense and get yourself a no prize. Knock yourself out. But my point is, is that the plotting is a little thin. <laughs> it's, which, a little, it's a little arbitrary well, and contrived. Which is really a pity when you're you know, sitting down to watch a 240-minute film. Uh, if, if you're going to have four hours of superhero nonsense, make that way more... Com- well, actually, don't make it complicated, because then you have something like Batman versus Superman. No, we don't want complicated. Which is we, want it, we want full. And that's, yeah. the, and that's the thing. Hmm. The second half of this movie, but when the Justice League finally comes together, and that's two hours into the movie, when the Justice League so finally the first, comes, the first one was over at this point, pretty much. When the Justice League finally gets together, I'm going to say it right now, except for the epilogue, which I'll talk about in a second. I think the movie is great. I think the the hmm. last two hours of this movie, except for the epilogue, are actually like they they fly right by. Okay, hmm. it's everything's paced better. The action is a little cooler. Uh, there's the, all the stuff that they added is actually kind of neat. Um, and, uh, you know, we had this whole heist thing that gets like really boosted in this mm. version. And, uh, there's a lot more drama with Cyborg. Cyborg has tons of footage that was left on the cutting room floor. Like it's an insult. Like how much they, how much they just completely ignored this character in the theatrical cut. He was the heart and soul of the movie. Um, so I think that the last two hours are 
kind of shallow because they're really just only about like the characters feel stuff but there's no like there's no real theme being explored here yeah. uh but they're fun and they're dense and they 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 were a good time at the movies the first two hours is just them assembling the justice league and talking about it and you could totally have cut that down by 45 minutes to an hour mm. you absolutely very easily could have done that without sacrificing the good stuff and there's good stuff in there there's mm. the new stuff with cyborg in particular is great but there's also a lot you can trim. Here's, here, here's what here's what you needed. Uh, Dark side, I suppose his inclusion did change the motivation of the bad guy a little bit. Yeah, um, he's still a generic and bad looking character, yeah. but uh, at least he was there to uh, sort of placate his uh, his boss. Yeah, who is also his nephew. Also, it suggests that this is not the end of the story, and it mm. gives you room to grow as a franchise. And that's what you want to do. Wanna, yeah, wanna that, do that's, bring back that's on their mind. Again. Surely is. Dark side and Steppenwolf look so similar that you could just switch them. It's like, who cares? They don't have like very different personalities. Uh, I think if you included all of like the cyborg stuff in the theatrical cut, it would have just been a a much broader, breathier sort of movie. I think that's the the middle ground we wanted. Mm. Because uh, I think a lot of the, the character stuff was undisturbed, and I, I liked all of the new character stuff with Cyborg. Yeah, that uh, sounds great. Joe where, Morton is really, really yeah, great. Yeah, Joe Morton he, his plays role was cut uh, down yeah, a lot. Cyborg's dad, and he was, as we saw at the end of Batman v Superman, he used the mother box to resurrect his son, who was uh, recently killed in an accident, and but it like built this robot body around him, so he doesn't really have a human body anymore. Just like part of his head is the only thing that survived. And now he has to deal with the sort of Frankenstein complex where he's like, I'm yeah. kind of a monster now. What, what do I do in the human world? And uh, he's, he's sort of like the tortured character and not Batman. Isn't that a yeah. relief? It actually is. And that's something you notice is that a lot of the stuff in the theatrical cut mm. foregrounds Batman more. And in the Snyder cut, oh. it does feel more like an ensemble. And I actually mm. like that. It feels like the first one is all about, will Batman be able to get this thing together? And will Batman mm. be able to convince Wonder Woman that she mm. should lead the team? And it's actually, this one just feels a bit more like just everyone gets their time. Sometimes mm. I wish they didn't. Uh, I will say this. I think the introduction, the new introduction of the flash uh, where he saves right. Iris's life, uh, but also takes a moment while she's helpless to kind of like fondle her hair is really weird. Mm. And then he steals a hot dog right next to her, which is really, really weird. All of that stuff is just tonally weird. That, it plus, you don't need that scene. Plus, it's a, it's a joke we saw already twice with the character of Quicksilver in the X-Men movies. Uh, gonna... and, and those were a lot more entertaining, quite frankly. Uh, <sighs> That's not my issue with it. But I just don't think, I, don't, I think the scene is extraneous. I don't think you need it. Uh, I don't think it works. Um, I think that um, there's some extra stuff with Wonder Woman finding out about Dark Side. You don't really need no. it's, it's I, fine. I like, but I like you don't the need scenes it. in the theatrical cut where um, Wonder Woman did have discussions as to who's going to be the leader of the team, and Batman yeah. says, "We need a leader. It's not me. I'm Batman. I can't do that sort of thing. I just don't know how." But I brood clear- in a cave. But clearly, you do, and so you know the, the idea that the Justice League is going to have Wonder Woman as its leader is you know a concept that's not in the, the Zack Snyder version. It's interesting they, that like mm. there's this whole version of the movie that's going to be largely disregarded now, and I don't think everything in that version is crap. There's a couple no. of things I actually kind of miss. Mm. Not a lot. I still think this is the better version. Uh, but the things that I miss, I miss, I think like three things. Hmm. And if you put them in the movie, I would have been like, yeah, that's nice. But I, I, I'm not at a loss for them not being there. Um, there's a bit where they're about to go into action for the first time. And the flash acknowledges that he's never actually done battle before. Yeah. He's, he's like stopped a mugging, but like the guy's just a normal dude. So 
it's it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. He's actually really nervous, and there's a there's a solid bit of dialogue in the theatrical cut that's Batman telling the Flash just save people, save one person. Mm. Then when you're done, you'll know that that was the right thing to do, and you'll do more, and that's that. That was actually a good little beat, mm. and I kind of like that beat. I liked the bit at the end where Superman and the Flash decided to have a race. I thought that was actually ending it on kind of like a fun note. Like, mm. now that the team is assembled, like, we can actually enjoy ourselves a little bit with these characters. Like, we've gone through these, like, growing pains and, like, people have been, like, dark and now they found themselves. And it feels like we're in a good place. That part I kind of liked. I also liked, and this is something I actually w- would have thought that Zack Snyder shot. Mm. Just based on how it was filmed in the theatrical cut. There's a montage at the beginning of the theatrical cut uh, that's basically showing that with Superman dead, the world is in mourning and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Like every, it feels like hope is lost. We've lost this God that protected us. And even if you didn't trust him because of all the stuff that happened in Man of Steel and, and Batman v Superman, he martyred himself for the world. He's, he killed himself to save the world. And now everyone feels really bad about that. So it's this big giant montage of people grieving and anger stoking mm-hmm. and the, you know a, a world that is not just the superheroes were affected but every human being was affected and i actually thought that was kind of a good way to get the story started mm-hmm. is to give it some context Other um, than just superman's death whale activating the plot yeah I, I, that that's that's a minor thing and again you know if i'd never known the other one existed i might not know i missed it mm-hmm. but it's just it's it but that's it like this like three little moments that I liked from the theatrical cut mm-hmm. that I kind of miss here. But there's so much stuff here that I think is so much better. Like there's this early bit with cyborg where he discovers the extent of his like cybernetic powers and he uses them to help a struggling single mother out by, by hacking an ATM. Yeah. Yeah. I actually thought that whole bit was like, Hey, heroism <laughs> remember that shit remember people used to do the, that the only problem is because this is Zack snyder he communicates that through what is essentially just a montage yeah so it feels like an aside not like him discovering something really exhilarating for the first time perhaps not but i did like it i still was i thought yeah. thought it was better than not having it uh, i'm trying to think what else yeah. um there's a couple of like weird moments and i kind of like that there are weird moments but i also kind of roll my eyes at some of them hmm. Uh, the biggest weird one of all for me is when we first are introduced to Lois Lane in this version. Uh, we see her, she's like getting coffee and she's visiting like the uh, the monument to Superman mm-hmm. in the, as part of her grieving process. Uh, the camera, she's like walking in slow-mo down the street and the camera uh, tilts down and you see a cover of the Daily Planet. And the cover of the Daily Planet, the front page banner headline is, uh, well, I wrote it down, sorry. It was, uh, uh, Gotham Security Bank seeks new architect. <laughs> and I'm looking at this Must headline. Must have been a really slow news day. I'm looking at this headline. I'm like, what are you trying to convey with this headline? Because movies tend to convey information with headlines. That's common hmm. w- use of exposition. In fact, uh, headlines never sound like headlines in movies because oh. they're just exposition. Yeah. Uh, like so I, I bet newspaper headline writers or, or copy editors just bristle yeah. whenever they see a movie, a movie newspaper. Perhaps, but at the same time, you know, that's what we expect. So when we see a newspaper headline, we think, oh, some information is about to be conveyed. Oh, maybe we're going to find out that uh, the Daily Planet is closing down or, mm. uh, you know, there's going to be a memorial to Superman. It's going to be important in the next scene or something. Mm. And instead it's about, it's a banner headline about how a bank 
needs an architect. That's page three of the business section. That is not page one. So my first thought was, okay, so I remember in the theatrical cut, Lois Lane said that she was like taking a step back from like hard-nosed reporting and just kind of writing some fluff pieces. So maybe this is just to suggest that with Lois Lane not doing the tough work, the Daily Planet just doesn't have good news anymore. And I'm like, no, news still happens in the world. Those, I guarantee Perry White is actually like a good editor. Like he will find the story today mm. and it won't be a bank is hiring right now. Like, no, he's going to, someone's part president of the president illegal- did something. This- you know, you don't know what kind of weird sort of contentious battle for architecture there was in Gotham city at the time. Maybe I am pay like had designed something and started building it. And that just, there was a big fallout or somebody, there was like a big scandal. So this could just be the most recent step in a large, scandal and if it's a scandal you're gonna find a more salacious headline than gotham security bank seeks new architect no, i suppose you're you right. know gotham bank seeks architect amidst scandal mm. is enough for it's not great mm. but it's better than that <laughs> and it turns out someone explained this to me online it turns out that that is nothing more than a reference to the fountainhead Oh God! Zack, Zack Snyder, Snyder and his, his Zack Snyder almost directed. I, I guess it's not on the on the table anymore. It might still be, but he was working on an adaptation of the Fountainhead, uh, and uh, this is his little reference mm. to the Fountainhead. The Fountainhead is, is an Ayn Rand novel about an architect who's uh, refuses to w- compromise. Work is taken away from him, and yeah, doesn't doesn't want to compromise yeah. uh, to those in charge because he's just that talented and yeah. strong. And I can see some parallels mm. here with maybe people thinking that like, oh, Zack Snyder's vision was compromised, and at the same time, it's like, okay, even if I allow for that, that's a stupid headline. Mm. That's just a, and you're focusing on that. It's just this weird, it's not a big deal. Mm. It's just indicative of the kind of like just occasional weirdness that'll pop up in this movie. Mm. Um, I, I kind of liked the sea chanty for Aquaman. <laughs> all, all of these little things that they've added, you know, even, even bigger things like adding new characters or expanding uh, uh, cyborgs backstory. Don't make the film any more entertaining is the problem. It's a it's a better put together I was, film. I was it's more better engaged thought because out. I cared about Cyborg, I guess. You know, I, 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 you know I, I might care about the characters a little bit more, or it, or at least in a different sort of way. But at the end, it's just a big superhero fight. They're not exploring new, bigger, more interesting themes. Zack Snyder doesn't have something on his mind that wasn't in the theatrical cut. It was all just style and fashion. So, yeah. so I find I found the the theatrical cut to be perfectly entertaining. It was shabby. It it, mm-hmm. it looked kind of bad, and they, they had to sort of reshoot a lot of things at the last minute, and you could tell. But it had a, a sort of sloppy Saturday morning kind of vibe to it. It had this yeah. sort of like afternoon entertainment uh, tone to it, uh, and which I uh, appreciated. You know, it, it just felt like a. I think the the issue a lot of people had is that it did not feel like this big epic coming together the same way the Avengers film did. Mm. It felt like something light and fun. And it was light and fun, and I had and I had an okay time with it. I don't have problems with the theatrical cut, frankly. It's it's serviceable. This one is longer. It's a better better put together, but I'm getting the exact same amount of entertainment value out of it. Mm. I like them the same. 
I, I they, don't. They they mm. constr- they overconstructed it. They made it into this big perfect machine, but it's a machine that does the same thing that the original one did. I, I don't think that's I don't mm. think that's true. For me, right. I think I agree that they're functionally similar movies. Mm. Again, the structure is basically the same. Um, I think that when you've actually got a consistent visual and uh, sort of emotional tone, mm. I think that helps. That does wonders with actually. Um, Mm. Keeping my engagement as opposed to constantly being distracted mm. by weird jarring things. Um, so I think that helps. I think it helps that I was more invested in the story. Maybe not a lot more invested, but noticeably more invested. Mm. Um, so I did care. I was I was getting more out of it, even though it's a lot of it's the same stuff. Um, I think... Uh, where was I going with this? Uh, was, it was, it was, it was, mm. it was it got the original... It was, it's kind of sloppy, but it was like sort of fine. And this one, yeah, I think this one, it, this one still has problems. I think the pacing is is off, just mm. off. It feels like an assembly cut. It feels like they just put everything they had in here, and they didn't actually edit it down for pacing or anything. It feels mm. kind of, it feels really indulgent, which is something that I think we can safely say about Zack Snyder's movies. <laughs> but yeah, I actually, one hundred percent. I actually think something that saves this film is the fact that, unlike Batman v Superman. And a lot of other Zack Snyder movies, actually. Not all of them. He doesn't have anything on his mind. Mm. And that's something that I actually think does Zack Snyder a disservice. He's not a particularly, like, nuanced storyteller. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a bad storyteller. But what I am saying is that he doesn't seem particularly interested in subtlety or complexity he's interested in big ideas Mm. and when he's only doing a movie about big ideas that's great that's totally fine Mm. but i actually feel like the -the over-the-top way in which he presented the story of the watchman actually undercut the human drama of the watchman which was not as broad as his presentation Mm. whereas here this movie is about next to nothing this movie is about hey you know justice league is kind of like gods and i'm like yeah that's it and I'm like, okay, cool. So are, they're just going to explore some theological theme here. Or? Not especially. No, no, no. we're just no. going to, we're just going to do some, some cool superhero shit. Mm. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. Superhero shit. Mm. I'm not complaining. This is cool. Thank you for this. This is fine. Um, so I did get a, get a kick out of it. Uh, I could definitely have done without the uh, nightmare epilogue, which is yeah, just, not... it feels like a parody of a Zack Snyder joint. I'm, it I'm does. Because there there was a, a portion in uh, Batman v Superman where uh, Batman fell asleep and had like, it's supposed to be a nightmare, but it's also like this premonition as to yeah. what the world will look like. And there's a big Omega, which you explained to me was the dark side symbol, yeah. the, the letter Omega. And yeah, it's like shooting guns and wearing a suit and everything's destitute and desert-like. and uh, Superman's gone and, evil. And, 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 yeah, and then there's an evil Superman now. Um, and and then rather confusingly, he woke up and immediately saw the Flash poke his head in from the future. Which, when I saw the movie, I thought was just some random astronaut. I didn't recognize it as the Flash. <laughs> it's like, so who, who the hell was that? There's no reference to that in Justice League until this epilogue where it flashes forward to where uh, Batman is now teamed up with 
Joe Manganiello, who's in there for some reason. He plays Deathstroke the Terminator, yeah. I don't know who Deathstroke the he's Terminator is. He's the bad guy who was introduced at the end of the movie. Yeah, he's just some guy's like, yeah, I want to I want to work against Batman. And then they, there's this hard cut, and now he's working with Batman. Yeah, it totally undersells that whole like, dramatic and, intro and, of the, of the and now, of Doom. And uh, now yeah. Jared Leto is there as the Joker, and he doesn't... He actually doesn't give the line of dialogue that was so mocked in the previews about we live in a society that's yeah, given up on decency. They just sort of have a, a conversation. Um, Batman mentions that he killed Harley Quinn and that he was going to kill the Joker next. Yeah, he uses the F word like a badass. Yeah, and then he says the F word and then the movie just ends. And it's... It, it's that's the post-credits stinger. That's like, not don't post-credits. Need a, no, that, just, like it should have been the post-credits yeah. stinger. It's just it's it's really long. It's really indulgent. It's it doesn't long. get us it's anywhere. Like, it's like ten full minutes. It's especially weird because nothing happens in it. They're There's just no standing, action scene. They're they standing don't plan on a freeway. Anything. Nothing happens in this fucking it's, sequence. It's just Batman it's having just, a conversation. It's just an excuse to get him there with the Joker. And apparently, like this this was the scene that they like shot like mm-hmm. after like for the Snyder cut. Like this is important to get in here. And I'm like, no. This doesn't help anything. I the one part I will disagree with you is I do think that the whole time travel thing it, it's referenced earlier. Mm. Uh, there's a bit where um, the Flash says that if he approaches the speed of light, time gets wonky. Mm. And there's a bit where he has to go fa- as fast as the speed of light in order to like supercharge the mother box and bring Superman back to life. And as soon as he does it, everyone gets a vision of the future, which they bring Superman back to life and he kills everybody. And they're like, "Wait, no, shit! <laughs> it's too late now." <laughs> That was actually okay, a good yeah. bit. I thought okay. that was a fun bit. I actually like all the new like flash time travel stuff. I thought was actually kind of interesting. They don't go too far with it. It mm. just they they use it for a couple of good moments. They saved it for when they needed it. Um, yeah, I, again, this is a better version. Is it the best version? No. There's like a mm. three hour fifteen minute version of this that hits the sweet spot. That's epic and big and it gets all the good stuff in there. And there aren't a bunch of scenes that run long or are completely superfluous. But um, I do like that this exists. Uh, I'm always interested in a director's cut. Even a director's cut sucks. Uh, I'm looking at you, Walter Hill's The Warriors. That's a director's cut that sucks. It <laughs> takes a classic movie and makes it a bad movie. Uh, like, don't do that. Uh, but it's always interesting to see the contrast. Uh, I think yeah. a lot of people are getting like a, an exciting look at like the nuances of editing this weekend. So that's cool. You know, what I what I got out of watching this cut was... Uh, Fans will do this sometimes. Well, uh, on like DVD, they'll release uh, deleted scenes alongside. It'll be yeah. packaged on the DVD. It's here's some scenes that didn't make the final cut. And sometimes a fan will take those scenes and edit them back in. Yeah. Just to see what the film would look like with all of them in. And lo and behold, the pacing sucks all of a sudden. And everything just comes to a crashing halt in every one of these scenes. It's the reason why these, these scenes are cut. This feels like somebody just put everything back in. Yeah. Just willy-nilly. Not, not with any sense of actual... Uh, pacing or uh, you know actual film construction. Yeah, they just put it all in there. It's this big pile of superhero nonsense that rather disappointingly doesn't add up to anything more than what we already have. No, it's it, it, it was weird for me the, is that the, ultimately the film's mm-hmm. ambition. When you think about it, when you think about how it's, little it's, it has to say about anything, it's incredibly modest. It's, it was like in trying to be a three, maybe three and a half star blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what it was getting at. It's going to be a lot of spectacle, a lot of like. Fun mm. character interactions and like a bunch of fight scenes. We're gonna fight inside a, a concrete tube, and then we're gonna fight inside a different concrete tube. Like that's where that's where you have our whole story built on, and uh, it's fun for that. But again, I think the question isn't which version is better. 
I think the question is, if this was the version we had in the first place, mm. what would we have said about it? I and I think what we've said, said about it would have been long and indulgent. And yeah. probably would have been bored. Yeah, it's it's too long. Mm. It's incredibly indulgent. Boy, does that nightmare sequence not work. Uh, but I did mostly have a good time, and I would say that it's damn sight better than Batman v Superman, and That's probably sure. and probably a little better than Man of Steel, a movie which I mostly like, but I think whiffs the oh. ending. Uh, I don't like Man of Steel. I, I actually don't. actually don't like Zack Snyder as a director. The the what? fact that people were fighting for his his quote vision uh, always miffed me a little bit because I've seen his vision and I don't like his vision. Yeah, and he he tends to uh, make films that tout the the greatness of fascism and uh, you know sell this kind of Randian undercurrent and are really uh, unhealthy have really unhealthy views about female sexuality I, I don't Sucker Punch in particular I don't disagree uh, with any of that and what's so, weird is that he seems to be kind of oblivious to the fact that he's doing it yeah that's what's yeah, weird yeah. about it I don't understand at all like yeah. how he can be totally like so uh, it, it's bizarre that I'll, he seems to be not so aware of what he's doing I, I will say this um, even though he's the credit director on both cuts uh, Joss Whedon does not have a director's credit yeah he should um, he, clearly, he, he made clearly, a lot. Clearly, he made a lot of it, but Zack Snyder has sole director credit on that. Yeah. Um, this might be the best Zack Snyder film I've seen. Okay. I haven't seen his Owls film. I've heard that one's quite. I good. like that one a lot, actually. Um, it's also fascist, like, uh, but at least it's clear that fascists are bad. Okay, <laughs> it's about fascism, but the fascists are clearly the bad guys. In that fascist one. Owls, as opposed to Three Hundred, where the fascists one, are the good guys. Th- this one seems to have a little bit more of a sense of fun, even yeah. in the the Zack Snyder version. It's not as like ponderous and self important as something like Man of Steel or Batman v Superman, which are insufferable. Uh, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not getting a lot out of this movie. I'm not getting any yeah. more out of this movie than, than I had previously. Yeah. It's weird. So the original, yeah, you said yeah. the ambition was to be like a three star entertainment. I think the original was a three star entertainment. Yeah. I think this one is also a three star entertainment. No, I think the original they spent $70 million and it's kind of a lateral move. I, at the time I was kind of kind to it because I just, I liked the parts that I liked enough. Yeah. Uh, revisiting it, the original theatrical cut. Um, it's a mess. It's not an unentertaining mess. I don't hate it. I've I've grown to like a lot of sloppy films that were like mangled by studios before. Um, so for me, it's like a two, maybe two and a half star movie. All right. Uh, this is a three, three and a half star movie. If I'm being kind, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of like in it. There really is. I'm glad it exists. Um, if anyone's curious, because when he said he isn't really a fan of anything Zack Snyder did, Zack Snyder's really hot and cold with me. Right. I think his Dawn of the Dead is really good. I think his uh, Legend think... of the Guardians, the Owls of Cahool is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Man of Steel is mostly good. I, okay. I, think I think the parts that he gets wrong, he gets so wrong that it hurts the film, but there's a lot of it that is genuinely very good. Um, I think Batman v Superman stinks. I think 300 is well-made, but irresponsible and in poor taste. Uh, and I think Watchmen is frustratingly mediocre. Yeah. Considering the the talent he had in front of the camera, considering the material that he had, I feel the fact that he the best I think I could say about the Watchmen is that he didn't completely screw it up. <laughs> like we were we were all talking about the Watchmen before it came out, like, oh the Watchmen, that's gonna be like the godfather of superhero movies. That's gonna be the movie that changes it all. And then it came out, everyone's like yeah, parts of it were right. And then we kind of forgot to talk about it for a couple of years. Like, well, that kind of says it all. Well, the problem with the Watchmen movie is the only way to really approach it was as a comparison to the work it was based on. Yeah. It's like, how does this compare to the book? It's like, well, how about you make a movie that is its own entity and you don't need to know the book? And I've, yeah. everything was about 
comparing it to the source material rather than what it did correctly as a film. Anyway, that Mm. is Zack Snyder's Justice League. So uh, we're going to review the new releases on our critically acclaimed Mm. scale. Uh, Once again, for anyone who's new, the critically acclaimed scale, we review films on a scale from C- to C+. The lowest you can get is a C- because that's below average, and that's anything that's below average. Mm. From we generally just don't particularly care for it to the worst thing ever made. A C is average. There's good and bad in it. Or maybe it's good, but it's just not ambitious at all. And it's just sort of fine. Uh, And that's a C. That's average. Most movies are average. And then C plus is anything that's above average. From we recommend it to holy crap, that's amazing. (laughs) Whitney Seibold. Mm -hmm. On its own. (laughs) Zack Snyder's Justice League on the critical claim scale. It's a C. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's, It's... Des- despite its origin and despite all of the the hoopla surrounding it, it's just it's just okay. Yeah, uh, for me, there's about two and a half hours of C plus in here, <laughs> about a half hour mm. of C minus, and mm. about an hour of. So I'm gonna I'm gonna average that down to a very high C. All right. I'm glad I saw it. I think it's definitely worth checking out. But whether or not you're gonna fall in love with it is gonna depend on how eager you were to do so. I think. Uh, but there's a lot of good in it, and I'm glad it exists. Um, Quovatus Aida. Uh, um, that's a C plus. It's it's really really difficult to take. Uh, it's incredibly emotionally harrowing. There's a scene near the end where um, Aida holds her son's hand. That broke my heart. Yeah. Uh, it it it'll 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 break you. It'll threaten you. It'll make you sweat, and that's great filmmaking. I agree. This is a C plus mm. movie all the way. Um, this is definitely one of the best films I've seen in quite a bit. Like at least the last few months. Um, it's probably would have made if it had come out a few months ago. It probably would have made my top ten list last year. Technically, it's a twenty twenty release because it's eligible for the Oscars. Yada yada yada. It's a little confusing. Well, it it didn't come out. Until, I know. I know. It, it it's wasn't little, available until now. It's a little so, confusing. Yeah. My point is this: it's really fucking good, mm. and I hope you see it, even though it's really really harrowing. Uh, uh, Rose plays Julie. Uh, Rose plays Julie is a. Um... Hmm. I feel like I need to think about it for a little while longer to really give it a, a proper grade, but I'm going to give it a high C for now. Okay. Uh, de- definitely an, an appealing, interesting story. And then last but not least, Slacks, S-L-A-X-X, the movie about killer pants. Uh, I, I don't know if I can give this anything but a C plus. I really do. I, it's, it's not <laughs> Just for it's, audacity. It's not even audacity. Just I think they take a silly premise and they end up making it work. I oh, think yeah. there there are definitely things that are holding it back from being instant classic, but I think it has a, a distinct point of view. I think it's funny. Uh, I think it has fun with its gore. Could have been gorier, and maybe that would have made the movie stronger. But yeah, I, I, I had a hoot with this. It's not it's not an unequivocal recommendation, but it's a definite recommendation. All right, you? I'll give it a C. Nice. <laughs> it, it's an odd premise. It's it works well for an odd premise, um, and I do like those pants. That they're good pants. Those are good pants. Nothing better shows my taste than what I wear around my waist. Oh, pants! <laughs> Grar! Pants. 
Sing the praises of Pence. That's a Mystery Science Theater 3000. Anyway, it's time for the Critically Acclaimed he'd, Streaming he'd, Club. He'd go on if we let him. I would. Uh, it's time for the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club. We review older movies that one or both of us haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this month, the theme was kind of anything on Paramount+. Plus. They don't have the best selection. Yeah, we, we usually like to narrow it down with like a genre or a decade of some kind, but... Paramount Plus's film selection is not great, so yeah. we just said, eh, anything. Anything, really. And uh, so we uh, gave our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network a bunch of options, and uh, they voted for Infernal Affairs. Uh, mm. Infernal Affairs is a 2002 Hong Kong movie uh, directed by Andrew Lau and Alan Mack, starring Andy Lau and Tony Lung. Uh, Andy Lau plays a uh, criminal. He was a... Uh, uh, raised by criminals and uh, was told to enter the police department so that he could be a mole for a crime organization. Uh, It's it's the triad specifically. It's It's, it's the mob. Yeah. It's organized crime. And uh, Tony Lung plays a police officer who is uh, kicked out of the police, but it's actually all a ruse so that he can work undercover in the triad. And then both of these people are assigned to find the mole in the organization and also to find the mole outside the organization. So they're hunting for each other and they're hunting for themselves. It's weirdly complicated yet very efficient. It This version is really streamlined because uh, The Departed is based on this. And yeah. the, the this film uh, made a lot of sort of like the midnight movie circuit when The Departed came out because people yeah. were curious about the source material. Yeah. And the movie was a, was and, a uh, big hit. It won, it won mm-hmm. awards and uh, it, there was, I remember seeing this movie shortly after it came out and the DVD started coming into America. And it was one of those movies where everyone's like, you, you got to see this movie, Infernal Affairs. It's a really, really great crime thriller. You got to check this thing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and, and it was, it was a big deal. It's really twisted, but the, the, the departed is it's nearly three hours long. It's a long film. Uh, Martin Scorsese just expanded everything. Uh, and to the film's credit, it, it won a bunch of Academy Awards. Uh, this one is like a hundred minutes and it gets to the point way faster. Yeah. And so it, it has this complicated setup, but yeah, it's really, really streamlined and we know exactly what's going on in every scene. Uh, everything is set up to just sort of wring the ultimate amount of tension out of a scenario. There's a great, uh, uh, set piece in the center where, um, they're looking for the bad guys and there's subtle ways of like sending Morse code, uh, to the, po- the, uh, the Andy Lau character, or no, the Tony Lung character, mm-hmm. is trying to send uh, Morse code back to the cops without the Andy Lau character noticing, even though he's looking for it. Yeah. So, there, yeah, there's, like, all of these, like, machinations as to who's looking for what all within this one scene where everything, you know, this uh, big bust, this big drug bust is about to happen. I, I think the real mm-hmm. genius of this movie is basically just the premise, honestly. You mm-hmm. get... They cut, they ring a bunch of really great set pieces out of it, but we've seen a lot of stories about undercover cops. Mm. We've seen Serpico. We've seen Donnie Brasco. Um, and we've seen a lot of movies about corrupt cops. Mm. People are on the take. People are being bribed. The idea of the triad or the mafia or whatever, specifically picking a young criminal to enter the police force and be their mole from like birth <laughs> to have that ingrained loyalty to them. That was very distinct. 
when Infernal Affairs came out. I don't think I'd ever seen that before, very specifically. Yeah. And it creates this weird idea of the police and the criminals are doing the exact same thing. It's not like we're on the opposite sides of morality, which is what a lot of cop movies are about. It's they're the exact same. And the idea that the, both the criminal and the the cop who are also simultaneously a cop and a criminal <laughs> are going through the exact same thing emotionally mm-hmm. and having the exact same tension as they try to hunt for each other, but are also responsible for finding themselves is. It's so fucking cool. <laughs> it's such a fucking cool. Th- and this movie is all of the set pieces from the departed. None of the other stuff. It just goes mm. from set piece to set piece. Mm. And they love those their set pieces. They luxuriate in their set pieces. They build to them with, with a lot of elegance. One thing that uh, the Scorsese version did differently was they took a whole bunch of, of uh, supporting female characters and made them all Vera Farmiga. Yeah, yeah. They they which dramatically I suppose is kind of interesting where they took two separate female characters and had the two characters relate to the same character in a new way. So we got yeah. kind of Basically Matt Damon is engaged to be married to a police psychologist played mm-hmm. by Vera Farmiga and Vera Farmiga is actually uh, also a, the psychologist for yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio character. Exactly. And Leonardo DiCaprio and her end up having an affair and Bada bang, and that incorporates another small character mm. from uh, Infernal Affairs. Here, those are all distinct characters. Um, I get what it's a it's a process called dovetailing, where you take a couple of characters who maybe only have a couple of things to do, and you make them one character who has mm-hmm. a lot to do and maybe more complex as a result. And I think Verifamiga is really good in The Departed, but it also makes her existence feel incredibly contrived. It just it really does feel like every single th- the fact that everything coincidentally revolves around her Yeah, ends up feeling kind of false. Whereas here it just feels like there's a whole world out there. Isn't there? Do you feel, uh, uh, it's hard not to compare this to the departed because the part is hey, well, good. It's, it's very good. And I saw the departed first. So, yeah. so that was sort of like my, my guidepost for watching yeah. infernal affairs. I think maybe if I had watched this for the first time, I might have had some trouble following it at first, mm-hmm. just because it is a a little bit of an ingenious but a complicated premise, where both characters are both cop and criminal simultaneously. Um, luckily, because I had seen The Departed, I had a handle on it right away. Yeah, a bit of a primer. Yeah. That's how I felt about watching The Departed, because I'd seen Infernal Affairs right away. I'm like, there's a lot going on here. I'm glad I saw Infernal Affairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Infernal Affairs is just the, the absolute stripped-down, streamlined... Mm-hmm jet engine and, version of the and departed. Uh, it's the departed is sort of this big expansive crime epic that is all about uh, organized crime in boston and the way of uh, crime sort of affects the world at large and it, it kind of you get the sense that there's gigantic ripples being formed uh there, there's an, an epic an epic quality to it all of that's gone out of infernal affairs it's mm. actually just like a really terse taut cop thriller it's more of a michael mann joint yeah yeah, yeah. um guys doing uh, their jobs I, I think a little bit more stylized than michael mann who, mm-hmm. who tends to be very kind of a, a cool filmmaker but um yeah here it's it it's just a really good a really good crime film with a really interesting premise and i really enjoy it and it's the kind of thing that uh compared to other crime films from a similar time and place uh seems just uh, 
above, above and beyond. It's like head and shoulders above the others. Mm. Is it a cinema classic? I'm maybe not. It's, you know, quite a good film. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little curious that this was one that was uh, chosen to be remade in America Mm -hmm. um, out of all the other, you know, Hong Kong films you could have chosen. I think it's got a great hook. I think that's why I think it's clearly got a lot of material that can be mined for good performances. They, they really expanded the mafia uh, mafioso character. Jack Nicholson has like a whole yeah. super villain to play with. And this guy is, he's a fun guy, but he's not the same kind of over the top yeah. well, character. The, uh, the character I like better was actually uh, the character that ended up being played by uh, Matt Damon in the remake, the Andy mm. Lau character. Oh yeah. Andy Lau. Uh, mm. Because he, he actually does have this kind of, well, first of all, it's Andy Lau. So he's like super charming, but yeah. he does have this sort of, conniving underhanded quality to his performance where he, he's playing every scene as if he's playing it two ways. And I think he does a really good job at that. Uh, Tony Lung is a little bit more of um, not, not relaxed, but he's a little, because he's playing a criminal at all, all times. We never get any kind of senses to sort of his interior, interior monologue or what no. kind of emotional crisis he, he's, he's going through. Tony Lung's being very broody here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Tony Lung is actually one of the better actors alive. Oh, he's uh, great. He's yeah. so damn good. And I think Andy Lau is underappreciated actually. Uh, Andy Lau is more of a, often considered a bit more of like a movie star, movie star, like almost like a, and, and th- this might just be my experience, but uh, a bit more of like almost like a Tom Cruise kind of mm-hmm. type. Um, so this is, but, uh, for me, the thing that's interesting is this movie was co-directed by Andrew Lau, mm. Andrew Lau and Andy Lau are, that's, that's not like he's directing it too. Like that's mm. just a coincidence. Uh, but, uh, Andrew Lau, like this was actually a big kind of turn for Andrew Lau. He had done like a lot of like over the top action mm. movies. Like if you ever saw the storm Riders? You ever see that? No. Big, magical, epic martial arts adventure about guys who can do martial arts with water. And at one point, he's like his own dad rips off his arm. So he has to use the blood to kill his own dad. And you're walking around like, this is cool, but what the fuck? Um, this was like a big like shift, I think, for him. And um, at least in my experience, I haven't seen everything he did. He's a very prolific filmmaker. And yeah, this is... Very mature, I think. This is again, it's it's brisk, and <laughs> and uh, um, again, this is just a bullet of a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really like it. This feels like a like a Don Siegel kind of film. It's yeah, just, uh, this wonderful, brutal, macho efficiency to mm-hmm. it. But it's not without a soul. It's not just pure mm-hmm. bravado. It's actually like earns it all. I think. I think actually, as little time as it takes we get like a lot of like real heart and emotion out of this. We understand just how harrowing this journey that both of these people are on uh, is in. Uh, there's a lot of talk, particularly in the prologue and epilogue about uh, sort of an eternal hell, a hell in which you're not allowed mm-hmm. to die. And it's the and idea that, and, and hence the title yeah. infernal affairs. Well, it? that's the Americanization of it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what is the, um, what it, is the, it, the Chinese version? Uh, I, I uh, the remember. Unceasing I, Path. There you go, which is yeah. uh, a, a reference to Buddhism and yeah. the unceasing path of, of hell. It is an yeah. un, un, Hell is an unceasing thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're just, you're trapped in it. You're not allowed to, to leave. And so the idea that even, and it really mostly speaks to Andy Lau, but it also is about Tony Lung as well, which is they're in a bad situation and there is no conceivable way they're allowed to leave. Yeah. There's no hope. They cannot escape no matter what they do. If Andy Which Lau is... and manages to get out of this, he's still going to be covering his tracks for the rest of his life. If Tony Lung gets out of this, he's still burned all his bridges and it's still awful. 
Like they're they're just they they made bad choices basically to go into <laughs> these careers. And unfortunately, that kind of this idea of being eternally trapped in this you know circles of iniquity of this this hell metaphor is only something that comes through in the title. I don't get that sense from actually watching the film. I think it's a little bit too busy with the mechanics uh-huh. than to really communicate that this is a trap for these people. I feel like it's an attempt, and again, this is mostly in like opening narration. Hmm. I feel like it's an it's an attempt at least to take this again ruthlessly efficient and very exciting, but also in some respects very straightforward kind of thriller, and imbue it with a little um, gravitas. Hmm. And I think that's something that Scorsese in letting the the, the story breathe a lot uh, and letting it affect more characters and getting to know like this big giant ensemble a lot more and understanding a greater, you know, sort of web of tragedy. Mm. I think he gets more out of that because he has the freedom to do so. Mm. Um, I, I was bummed actually. I want to try to make the time this week and I couldn't. Uh, I've actually never seen the sequels, Infernal Affairs 2 and Infernal Affairs 3, which have their fans. Mm. Um, Infernal Affairs 2 is actually a prequel and it takes place when both of these cops were younger men and they were just like getting their start in the police and also in organized crime. And Infernal Affairs 3 is a little bit of both, actually. Mm. It takes place after the events of this movie and uh, before. Um, and, and it forms like kind of like a godfathery kind of trilogy, is my understanding. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen them. I know some people are really big fans and some people think they're completely extraneous. Uh, but this one, this this holds up real good. Yeah, this is a yeah. cool watch, and you should definitely see this movie if you've if you've seen The Departed or if you haven't seen The Departed. I think this is a good one. It's actually a really interesting double feature, I think, with uh, Justice League. Not because it's like the same movie or anything, but because but you're comparing two versions of the yeah, same story. You're, here's a lot. one that's a, the same story but a lot longer, hmm. and what you can get out of that. And but here's one where the shorter version is also great and a very valid take on the material. It just plays very differently and seems to have a different point. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's I mean it's pulp. It's good pulp. It's great, it's quite quite good pulp. Yeah, uh, Scorsese uh, can he Scorsese can do pulp. Watch something like uh, Shutter Island. Oh, that's total uh, pulp. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just a pulp thriller through and through. But yeah. I think he was a lot more interested in exploring bigger things, so he expanded it into something quite different. I feel like his um, more is more about duality than yeah. anything else. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I I think The Departed is the better film. Okay. Frankly, That's fair. Uh, but I'm not going to say anything negative about Infernal Affairs. I think it's quite good. Mm. I liked it a lot. Um, I'm, I, I'm glad I, I saw it. I felt like it was missing out on this kind of like door, like dorm room bro kind of movie with Infernal <laughs> Affairs, and I'm, I'm glad I finally caught up on it. No, this is a movie I had to like track down from like uh, mm. import stores when it initially came out because yeah. uh, it wasn't making the rounds, and then it finally did come out on DVD in America, and mm. it had like a cover that had nothing to do with the film. And they're trying to show like all the sexiness in the movie, and I'm like, it's not, not a, a sexy, sexy movie. movie. No, There's no sex in the movie at really, all. It's really well, this one off camera maybe, mm. but like it's it's very very mm. very serious and severe. Um, yeah, this movie took a long time to like kind of get treated right, I think, by America. But it's and, it's available that, now. It's on Paramount Plus. Yeah, now it's just on Paramount Plus. And you should, if You're, you have Paramount Plus, there's not a lot else to see. So see this. <laughs> But there's there's the movies. I'm Some movies. Fine. I'm not. I'm I'm I'm, okay. I'm not keeping it. No. <laughs> I'm not keeping I mean, Paramount Plus. Par- Paramount has so many <laughs> I, movies. I, I, so I, many movies in their vault. They could just put them all. In. I I signed up for like the free trial of Paramount Plus, and I watched just I to watch at, the movie. I, I looked. Well, no, because I wanted to check out like some of the stuff that they had. I wanted oh, okay. to like you know experiment with it, see if it was worth my while. Uh, no. <laughs> 
and uh, maybe when we get to our Star Trek podcast, all our yesterdays, when we get to like you know discovery, discovery and, and stuff, yeah. like then I'll sign up. But we have a few years before I'll get there. Um. Anyway, that is the critically acclaimed streaming club. Next week we'll be back with reviews of new films. And also, uh, there's a poll up right now on the Critically Acclaimed Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Um, by the time this goes live, it should still be available for voting, uh, but not for much longer. Uh, and the, all our options are 1930s movies on the Criterion channel. It's all good movies. Well, theoretically, we haven't yeah, seen them all. That's true. Uh, but uh, we got some really cool picks on there. We got some films from uh, Ozu and Dreyer and Renoir and Chaplin. So that's a mm. that's a cool lineup right there. So uh by all means vote, vote with your heart, vote with your head. Doesn't matter, just vote. We'd love to hear you. Um we'd love to hear your voice heard on our show. Uh, it's 12:50 in the morning and I'm tired. <laughs> well, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Thank you everybody for listening. We're incredibly grateful to you. Especially big thank you to our patrons. If you want to join us, it's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive shows that are available for you. Shows about Batman, Star Trek. We got commentary tracks, stuff about Disney, the Oscars, ton of stuff, all available exclusively for our patrons, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. If you want to send us a message, uh, you can either follow us on Twitter at William Bibiani, at Whitney Seibold, at critic acclaim, or you can write us an email. Our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail. So be sure to send in your questions, suggestions, got a criticism of something that we brought up in this episode or anything else. We would love to hear from you. Uh, if you like soap, of course you do, head on over to our Etsy store, etsy.com. Search for Salt Cat Soap. Salt Cat Soap is all one word. Uh, we have soaps designed by my wife and partner, M. Lapis Da Silva, and I have my first soap design going live uh, in the next couple of weeks. So I'm very excited about that. I think you're going to like it. Um, and uh, thank you everybody who's tried it out already and left us some really, really cool reviews. It's very nice of you. Thank you for your support. Um, and um, Whitney's cool. <laughs> well, thank you. It's like kind of you to say. I love so. Whitney a lot. You, you don't have to lie on the mic. I don't have to. I don't have to. That's why I'm not doing it. Anyway, everyone's a critic and stuff. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>